want to send a shout out to Amber Skilton. Amber Trottier, knee Skilton. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that you've had a very seismic impact on my life over the past 14 years. It has been 14 years, by the way. I, I think. I actually may have that wrong. Anywho, you've encouraged me to come out here. You helped me pack before I left out here. And even to this day, you're always there to listen, to give advice, and to genuinely be a good person in your own idiosyncratic way. Thank you. Thanks for everything. My name is Eli. Thank you for listening. Let's get started. what will soon be a traditional episode of this podcast. An episode that got me a lot of credos during the last season. I thank you guys for that. As much as I've wanted to hold off on it, I can't help but to feel impelled, inspired, driven, fucking violently pushed into jumping the gun into displaying this episode. Why? Well, simply put... Last week, I saw a movie called Morbius. A movie that was stacked to the very brim with absolute nonsense. A movie that insulted my intelligence so thoroughly that I've had the overwhelming urge to emotionally purge myself of negative thoughts. And what is a better way to do that than to vent my frustrations about... The Bullshit Movies. Army of the Dead is one of those mystifying cases of a movie that has quite literally every single solitary thing on paper look very, very good. It has a great cast. It has a great trailer. It has a perfect director for this particular subgenre of horror film. Everything lines up like roses, and then you start watching the goddamn thing, and there are so many red flags that instantaneously go off. I've been the one to point out that when it comes to entertainment, whether it be sports or, or TV shows or film even, the worst thing that can happen is for something to look like it can be great only for it to disappoint you in a massive way. It's almost much, much better for something to look bad, to sound bad, and to just genuinely feel bad all around. Army of the Dead is a prime example of how Zack Snyder misfires are actual cinematic nuclear disasters. I mean, he hits more often than he misses, in my humble opinion, but these misses almost erase the goodwill of like two or three good things that that man does. Army of the Dead makes critical mistakes that make it an overwhelmingly bullshit movie. It's not the look of the film, it's not the performances, and for the most part, the mood of it is absolutely spot on. The problems are the following. One. This is a two and a half hour zombie movie. 
No modern day horror film should be two and a half hours. There's not enough substance within any subgenre of horror to last that goddamn long and have it not be overblown or flat out masturbatory. Two. It makes the single biggest mistake that literally every bad modern day horror movie makes. It has characters making wildly stupid, unexplainable decisions simply so that we can get to the horror movie shit for the audience. Three. The basic plot of the movie is that somebody is hiring this particular group of characters to go into a zombie-ridden Las Vegas to open his vault to retrieve his money. Yet he sends them off on the adventure without giving them the fucking code for the safe, my guy? Four. The walk to the destination is two hours. And I believe they say that flat out in the movie. They continue to travel on foot when there are abandoned cars to hot wire lying all over the fucking place. At least we could find a couple of bicycles, man? Or anything that could keep us from walking in the Las Vegas desert heat, right? Five. Close the fucking doors behind you. It's super simple, really. Check your six, motherfucker. Supposedly, there are military guys in this particular group, and they start walking into these quarantine, these, uh, these, what do you call it? The quarantine, no, the quarantine, sorry. The quarantine areas. They just leave motherfucking doors open. Like, there's nothing here. I guess, like, they've cleared the area and nothing can go through there anymore, but guess what? There are zombies coming behind y'all. And they leave all these doors open over and fucking over again. And in a two and a half hour movie, you just start keeping count in your brains about how often they do this shit. You know, did I mention the character that made noise by attempting to crawl through something when that character had a pathway simply to walk around it unbothered? Stupid! Or the daughter of Batista's character who flat out guilt trips him into taking her along so that she can rescue a family member of a family that we the audience never get a chance to know as actual characters? Stupid! All the while having no military experience? I mean, I think they flat out say that she's never fired a gun like five times and then they're just like, all right, go. Cool. You good? You let's go. Stupid. Or the fact that we see people getting bitten by zombies only to instantaneously turn into zombies themselves. All except for one character who gets bitten and then is trapped inside of a safe that is apparently not at all phased by having a nuclear goddamn bomb detonate right on top of it. We don't see this character for nearly the entire third act of this two and a half hour film only for him to re-emerge after the nuke drops. He walks the majority of the desert to go to an airfield. Then he gets on a plane, unbothered, while talking to other individuals. And then, because we need some kind of a cliffhanger to this fucking disaster of a film, he then starts to turn into a zombie what has to be hours later. Think about that. That's just dumb. I mean, I can really go on. Like, this movie is so long and so arduous to get through at one point. I mean, I could name a bunch of different other shit that doesn't make sense. And I, I really go to bat for Zack Snyder, man. Like, I feel like that motherfucker's lawyer a lot of the time when people get to bashing him. But this shit here? Th this shit here? I, I can't defend this shit here. I watch this and I feel silly 
for all the times I defended Man of Steel or like Watchmen or that, that first Dawn of the Dead remake that he made that was really good or anything like that. This is what you Zack Snyder haters are right about. Like this one, I got no rebuttal to y'all. I'm just gonna stay silent for, from now on. When, when y'all say Man of Steel and I'll be like, but wait. Or when you guys say like, you know, 300, I'll be like, wait. And why are you even hating on 300 anyway, right? Fucking bums. But when you say Army of the Dead, I'm gonna shut the fuck up. But when y'all leave, I'll be talking again. The King's Man. Kingsman franchise is never all that important. The success and the popularity of that first movie is 20th Century Fox's last happy accident. It's actually kind of amazing that the movie got made in the fashion in which it did, because if it were a PG-13 movie, the, you know, it would have been more marketable and it would have made more money, but it would have been bad. The Kingsman franchise was never a cash cow. Like, both movies made $100 million domestic, both movies made about $400 million internationally, and that's nothing to sneeze at, but it's not like a tent pole. I would say, though, the one thing that the Kingsman franchise was, was consistent. It definitely had a fan base that was worth paying attention to. I mean, what was not the love, right? I mean, you know, the Kingsman franchise was popular for a number of reasons. It was a like a Coke Zero version of a James Bond franchise, you know, it was old school versus new school. They advertised themselves as tracksuits next to three-piece suits, and I think that's incredibly accurate. It was unapologetically British, if not European, and the most important thing was that the humor was very crass, very R-rated, very bloody, and very welcome, given the kinds of action movies that were PG-13 and watered way the fuck down. In 2018, the director of these Kingsman movies, Matthew Vaughn, announces that there's going to be a prequel. It stands right next to what was supposed to be the third Kingsman movie, which still may come out, by the way, for some reason. I don't know. Anyway, from there, this movie, The King's Man, became, in my opinion, the single most affected film by the delays of the pandemic. A brief history. It was supposed to come out November 19th, 2019, but got delayed to the 15th of that same month. Then, for some reason, it got moved to Valentine's Day of 2020. But then, you know, stuff happened in the world, pandemics and whatnot, couldn't do that. Got moved to September of the pandemic year, but you know, stuff was still going on, more pandemic shit. Box office wasn't really the most predictable places in the world to, like, you know, make money. So it got moved to February 21st of 2021. But then, because of new variants, it got moved to Valentine's Day of 2021. It got pushed up, actually. Yeah, it did. But it was pushed back down again to March. And then it got moved from March to mid-August of 2021. And for some reason, without any explanation, they settled on a December date of 2021. Unexpectedly. Like, if you read the trades, it was like, okay, when are they going to move it again? And they said, okay, it's December 2021. Fuck you guys. And I was like, thank goodness. Another Kingsman movie. Pretty important to mention the history of all its delays, man, because that's roughly two years of promising for this thing to come out. And for two years, 
whenever you did go into a theater, whenever one was open, you were sure to see some version of one of two Kingsman trailers. And in both of these trailers, what they're selling is an honest-to-God Kingsman movie, on brand with the other two, just set in a different time. A trailer that's filled with the same cartoonish violence and crass humor, just like the previous two Kingsman movies. I'm looking for someone who can help me gain an audience with the Tsar. Perhaps you can be of assistance. I only make decisions when my stomach is full or my balls are empty. Well, thank God dinner is being served. And from here, we must get into a conversation about something commonly referred to as false advertising. The Kingsman trailer is absolutely, positively not what it's selling itself to be whatsoever. The Kingsman is a tried-and-true war film. Rasputin, the villain of the piece, played by Risa Fons, who's pretty much the centerpiece of the two trailers that were playing for a two-year span, is only in the movie for about 20 minutes of his two hours and 20-minute running time. And he dies at the end of the first act. There are very heavy, dramatic elements in this film that carry a ton of weight. In fact, hey man, it's a decent watch if you're viewing it in the same lens as like, uh, like a war movie like Fury or Midway or 12 Strong or some other dramatic war film of the 2010s with action that is realistic yet somewhat over the top. But in watching it, and in realizing that it is a decent film, the movie simply is not why the audience that I saw it with was in that theater for. We were all there for a movie that resembled the two films that we'd seen before. You sold us on the trailers, playing Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap by ACDC via a multitude of platforms for two straight years with YouTube ads and ugly, lifeless billboards and commercials during playoff games and when movie theaters opened back up in March these trailers went right back in the circulation for every PG-13 and R-rated film under the sun even though you kept delaying the film all that to release your film the week after Spider-Man and on top of all that you give us this what the fuck do you what do you mean how how have you oh man what? you're just ruining it King's Man is bullshit on every level, to say the least. Sometimes you can ruin the reputation of a once-respected franchise by an extremely bad entry. And I'll get to that later on in this episode. But in this case, you can also ruin the reputation of a franchise by simply lying to your fan base. A once-loyal fan base. A fan base that walked out of that showing that I saw of the King's Man. A fan base that may now be entirely extinct due to patently false advertising of the content of your latest film. This episode is brought to you by Boss of CMOS, the number one CMOS brand in Washington State. So what are the benefits of Irish CMOS? Often touted as a superfood, proponents of this algae claim it can strengthen immunity, improve digestion, and even produce glowing skin over time. 
Irish moss alone contains 92 of the 102 minerals that our bodies need in order to thrive. Boss of Sea Moss is a brand that incorporates Irish sea moss into things like face mask gels and bath bombs. They also have lemonades both in the original flavor and a new strawberry lemonade, as well as two original blends that you can put into smoothies of your own. The original 92 mineral formula and the herbal blend with all 102 minerals support black-owned businesses. Check out Boss of CMOS at their website, bossofcmos.com. Again, that's bossofcmos, S-E-A-M-O-S-S dot com. All one word, by the way. The Matrix 4. I don't even really remember what the surtitle of the, the Matrix 4 was. I'm calling it the Matrix 4 because I don't even care to know what the fuck the surtitle is. This is one of the rare cases where after seeing a film that I don't like, I immediately come to the conclusion that I need to see it again just so I can specify the emotions that I'm feeling. And usually when that happens, and it does happen from time to time, a second viewing can redeem a lot of the shit that I found personally questionable or something that I found insulting to my intelligence. Usually. I'm talking like 80% of the time I can do that. But not here. No, sir. I can't help but to compare The Matrix 4 to that Lion King remake from a couple of years ago. Like, that Lion King remake wasn't necessarily in a position to, like, care about keeping up the things that made the original so iconic. The original was an animated film, for one. I mean, the remake got, like, the live-action treatment. It was made with way more famous actors to play the original roles, and, I mean, it, it should have been financially more viable, which it was, okay? It made more money. And you got Beyonce and Donald Glover to sing all the songs, and one can see why it wasn't that important to maintain the integrity of the original Lion King under those circumstances. The Matrix, though, is in a different position. Unlike the one-off that was the Lion King remake, what that was supposed to be anyway, Warner Brothers seemed to distinctively put the Matrix in a reboot kind of a situation. And I think in order to do that, you would have to maintain everything that made this series fucking iconic. And I can't help but to think that the Warner Brothers or the Wachowskis or whoever the fuck was running the show with the Matrix 4 had no idea of all the things that made their series an iconic series. The Matrix 4 would have you believe that the only two things, sorry, the only three things that made the Matrix series iconic was Bullet Time, Neo, and Trinity. And mind you, all that is true. All of those things are direct contributors to why everything worked the way it did back then. But they were missing two particular things of vital importance. Number one, Morpheus and Agent Smith are iconic characters within themselves. And the contributions of Lawrence Fishburne and Hugo Weaving are simply too important to brush over, man. In no way, in no way, am I demeaning the efforts of Yaya Mateen and Jonathan Groff. I'm not demeaning 
Donald Glover for playing Symbol. Uh, Simba. Symbol. Jeez. Or Chuatella Jofor for playing Scar. Like, all of those actors, all of those actors are amazing at their jobs. But iconography is so important when you're rebooting shit. Either those characters have to be present and have them be important to the things going on, or you shouldn't be using them at all. Morpheus, man. I mean, Morpheus is a flat-out fifth-rate character in The Matrix 4 after the end of the first act. By the beginning of the second act, all he does is say like 10 whole lines, and he's so insignificant that he's not even a part of the final battle sequence until the very end of it. Agent Smith, one of the three or four most iconic cinematic villains of the 90s, might have even less to do than Morpheus. I mean, I mean, he's a part of two very asinine fight sequences that barely push the story forward at all. He's, you know, at multiple points, you know, during the third act, he's rescuing Trinity from a life-threatening situation, and then he's just gone. Like, their chapters, these, the, the chapters of these two characters are closed, effectively, with no further usage to the story. Number two, Neo was fucking dominant. I don't know when the narrative started to become that we needed our heroes to be vulnerable and weak all the fucking time just so that they can become, like, relatable or something. I don't know. It's not that Neo couldn't lose in the first three movies or anything like that. Smith was just as strong, and he had strength in numbers with all the agents that, like, littered the Matrix's landscape. Neo was essentially Superman, but he had, like, 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 sugar-free Superman as his villain. I killed you, Mr. Anderson. I watched you die with a certain satisfaction, I might add. And then something happened. Something that I knew was impossible, but it happened anyway. You destroyed me, Mr. Anderson. In this movie, though, he has been completely wiped of any powers that he has. Like, I won't really, like, elaborate how many times he gets his motherfucking ass completely whooped in this movie, but I will just say this to anybody who's familiar with this universe, okay? Anybody who's familiar with this universe can abide by what I'm saying right now. The idea of the Neo character being blue-pilled and having the blue pills actually work to the extent that they work is irredeemable. It is irredeemable bullshit that this movie cannot redeem itself from. The meta-narrative also isn't very fun either. I mean, you know, the conversation... You know... If the conversation around making this sequel went in any way to what Lana Wachowski was trying to portray it as in this film, then I admire her ability not only to get this film made, but to, like, have the audacity to even subtly hint towards having that exchange with Warner Brothers in this film, to, like, write it in the script, to have it be a direct shot to the people who are paying your paychecks is very brave. Now what? Things have changed, the market's tough. I'm sure you can understand why our beloved parent company, Warner Brothers, has decided to make a sequel to the trilogy. They informed me they're gonna do it with or without us. I know you said the story was over for you, but 
That's the thing about stories. They never really end, do they? But I gotta tell you, this ain't the Scream franchise. And, and, and I don't know why we need semi-preachy sequences chastising the internet motherfuckers that criticize your franchise over 20 years. Obviously, The Matrix is about trans politics. Crypto-fascism. It's a metaphor. Of capitalist exploitation. This cannot be another reboot, retread, regurgitate. Why not? We are so far down the wrong rabbit hole here, people. You say Matrix. This is what they see. <laughs> Allow me to sum up our goal in a single word. Bullet time. I mean, I can understand being sensitive in terms of literally all the films in your lexicon aside from the Matrix universe. If you wanna like insult people who went at you for Speed Racer or Cloud Atlas, I completely understand. Turn that caps lock key on. But the Matrix had a legacy that the other films didn't. Matrix 4 is well made. It is. I mean, I've seen worse tent poles in my life, but the second and the third Matrix movies were featured in RV8, and they hold a special place to me because of that. This franchise here is one of many that is synonymous to my memories of RV8, and in the end, I wasn't one of these you ruined my childhood motherfuckers with their caps lock key activated raging away in the YouTube's comment section, man. I was a loyalist. And I was just severely disappointed after being overwhelmed with all of that bullshit for two and a half straight hours. Did I mention that Matrix 4 is two and a half straight hours, dog? Like, two and a half? Okay. Like, Matrix Reloaded was two and a half, and they had two sequences that were like 30 minutes long. This doesn't have that. They were yapping. They were talking for the vast majority of this. <sighs> you know, I'm gonna stop. Matrix 4 is bullshit. Let's just end it right there. As it turns out, this episode is going to have to be split up into two. And I don't have a whole lot of other movies to talk about here. I just have one. One really big bullshit movie. And for that conversation, I brought in a friend of mine, the great and powerful Christopher Cedeno, to talk about that movie and why it is bullshit to so many other people. And, you know... When we tried to clown on it, it just became more and more serious. <laughs> and uh, it, it was a lot longer than I originally planned. This is a movie I haven't seen for personal reasons. And he saw against his own will. And a movie that flat out never needed to be made in the first place. I don't really mean to do such a big tease for it, but... Next episode will be that conversation in full. My name is Eli. Thank you so much for listening. And you've made it to the next episode. <laughs>